Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. I am excited to have neurophysiologist and human performance coach, Luisa Nicola, on The Blueprint for a three-part series on how to enhance the master organ of our body. That's the brain. Luisa is the founder and head performance advisor of NeuroAthletics, a consulting firm that boasts the best athletes in the world. By using science-driven data from EEG scans, lab tests, and cognitive assessments, Luisa has a first-class ticket inside the brain of elite NBA and MLB stars. Luisa graduated from the University of Sydney Medical School with a Master of Medicine in Neurophysiology and is currently completing her doctorate studying the effects of exercise on the brain. Luisa also has a phenomenal podcast called The Neuro Experience and an excellent newsletter that I subscribe to. I definitely think you should check it out and I put a link to those in the show notes. Today, Luisa and I are diving into how exercise impacts our brains. Specifically, we discuss the impact of aerobic exercise and resistance training. Now, this isn't information that's easy to find, so get your pen and pad ready or open up your notes section your phone because today's show is excellent. But before we get started, the AIM7 beta app is out and people are loving it. AIM7 turns your wearable data into actionable recommendations to improve your physical and mental fitness. So no more wasting time trying to figure out what your data means. With AIM7, you'll have what you need at your fingertips to make the changes that you desire. We're only letting in a limited number of people at a time. So these cohorts are small. So if you want to reserve your spot, sign up now at AIM7.com and you'll get access to our beta app, four Zoom calls with me and our team discussing habit building, adaptive capacity, and so much more. So sign up now, but make sure to note that you are a Blueprint podcast listener and we will prioritize your registration. All right, now for my conversation with Louisa. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Louisa, how does exercise impact our brain health? And specifically, are there things that we should be leaning into to improve our brain health and things like neuroplasticity? Yeah, that's a really good question. So exercise has profound effects on the brain, the nervous system. So there's three main modalities of exercise that we talk about when we talk about the applications in neuroscience. So we've got aerobic physical activity. And first of all, before we get into it, I want to differentiate physical activity from exercise. So physical Mm -hmm. activity is literally whatever you're doing when you're not in a seated position. For example, for this podcast, I went and made a tea. That was physical activity, going to the bathroom, doing the gardening. This is physical activity. But exercise encompasses much harder work than that. It's something where you actually have to push your heart to pump that blood out. So when we talk about three modalities, we're talking about aerobic exercise, which is your long distance running, if you will cycling, swimming. Then we move into resistance training. And then we've got what I call neuroathletics, which is your neurocognitive training. And that involves tasks such as reaction time, thinking, processing speed. So aerobic exercise was one of the first researched forms of exercise as it relates to brain health. And the studies were done back in 1999. And when they were first produced, they were done on rodent models. And what they found was that over a six-month period of getting these 
rats to run on a wheel for 20 minutes a day, what they found was they produced a lot of this hormone or myokine called BDNF. And BDNF is a growth factor. It stands for brain-derived neurotropic factor. And it's a growth factor for the brain. So it helps with the growth of new neurons, specifically in the hippocampus. The hippocampus is a little region in the brain, deep in the temporal lobes, which is responsible for memory formation and consolidation. So back in 1999, we knew that aerobic activity was good for the brain because it helps the hippocampus. Then fast forward a few years, they started doing more studies and they showed the effects of aerobic activity on Alzheimer's disease patients. And they showed that 20 minutes a day of aerobic activity over a six-month period can starve off Alzheimer's disease by 20 years. And that's because of the same growth factors, because the first thing to go in Alzheimer's disease is your memory function and the hippocampus and the subregions around the hippocampus start to deteriorate. We're onto something there. Then we started to look, and by we, I mean researchers and humans, right. started to look at the effects of resistance training. And resistance training and brain health right now is uh, my specialty. I'm starting to finish off my doctorate where I'm just researching all of the various different types of myokines that are released. And a myokine is a muscle-based protein. So this means that we have proteins all throughout our body. We have these specialized ones in our skeletal muscle, and they're only released when the skeletal muscle is put under tension and pressure. And we can do this through resistance training. So what researchers found, and this is as early as 2012 or even earlier than that, was that during resistance training, our muscles release myokines, and these myokines get pushed into the bloodstream, and then they go up and have an effect on our brain. And mm -hmm. we've got over 611 myokines to date. And some of the most recent ones and sexiest ones are irisin. And irisin is a messenger molecule, if you will. So when it gets shot out from the skeletal muscle, it gets shot out in a robust way, not just a little bit. It gets shot out of the skeletal muscle, goes into the bloodstream. And then when it goes into the brain, it actually says to BDNF, hey, you need to produce more of your efforts. So it actually doesn't just have an effect on our cognitive functions, meaning it doesn't just go into the frontal lobe and enhance our attention, processing speed, focus. It actually goes into different areas of the brain and it helps with the proliferation of other brain-derived growth factors. Resistance training is changing the structure of our brain, the function of our brain, and I think it's just an incredible modality. This is unbelievable. So if I'm hearing you correctly, I knew about BDNF, its association with aerobic exercise. When you say that irisin basically amplifies the impact of BDNF, when we yeah. resistance train we are inducing a cardiovascular response, right? So the heart rate is going up. So are you getting kind of this dual effect? Because let's say you were to do, I went and worked out this morning, my average heart rate was probably elevated to 100 to 120. Let's say if you take it across between sets, right? And you just kind of average it out. I am having to push more oxidized red blood cells to my tissues in order for them to keep functioning. There is an aerobic component. It's just kind of more like over the duration of exercise. Are we getting some BDNF with the resistance training and then yeah. the irisin is kind of coming in and now you're getting this amplifying effect? 
you're getting the amplifying effect, but it's not just irisin. We're getting other forms such as cathepsin B and another interesting one, which is IL-6. So interleukin-6 is part of the interleukin families, which we know as a pro-inflammatory cytokine, if you will. So when we get sick, we you know get a robust release of IL-6. So we used to think IL-6 was really scary, but here it turns out that IL-6 is, I referred to it on a podcast last week as a bipolar molecule because if it's released from one area in the immune system, it can have a negative effect. But if it's released from the skeletal muscle, it has a positive effect. So it can actually go through and mitigate the effects of inflammation. So it becomes a really great anti-inflammatory instead of a pro-inflammatory myokine. So one thing that I want to point out is you mentioned blood flow. And Mm -hmm. let's just look at the brain for a second. Our brain is the most vascular-rich organ in the body, meaning that it has millions of capillaries. It's got millions of vessels. Actually, if you were to pull apart all the vessels in the brain, it would span over 400 miles. So you've got to think it's a vascular-rich organ. What does that mean? That means that the delivery of oxygen and nutrients through the bloodstream is extremely important. So we have two main arteries that shoot out from the heart when we exercise. We've got the vertebral arteries. It's just back. Then we've got the carotid arteries. They come out of the chambers of the heart. They go into the brain. And then we've got branching off those arteries there. So we're constantly needing to get this oxygen-rich blood to the brain. So doing any form of exercise is going to do that. This is phenomenal. It's so funny that there's all this stuff now about zone two and zone two, it's just a zone, but there's so many more benefits than just autonomic tone. You increase cardiac output through eccentric cardiac hypertrophy. There's a lot of great things. But when we start crossing over into these thresholds where it's more high intensity work, maybe more lactic power training. So we have more, let's just call it steady state aerobic. And then you start drifting more into metabolic function coming from the lactic system is there any differentiation on the impact on brain health? So my take on zone two is vast. So I set um, zone two parameters for a lot of my athletes. And mm-hmm. this is because we know in terms of lactate, we're training the area of the cell, which is the mitochondria. Right. And we have mitochondria infiltrating every cell in the body, including the cells in your brain. The cells in your brain and the cells in your body are different, but also very alike. The only difference is we have an axon in the ones in the brain. So mitochondria are abundant in the prefrontal cortex. And this is where I think we're getting most of the benefits when it comes to zone two training, because you're training in that threshold, that two millimole lactate threshold, which is in the mitochondria, which produces mitochondrial biogenesis. This means that we're getting the growth of new mitochondria in the frontal lobe and different areas of the brain, of course. But I say the frontal lobe because the frontal lobe is the biggest in terms of not just structure of the brain, but also the density and the amount of neurons within that area of the brain. So therefore, you can equate that to zone two training, trains the mitochondria to produce more mitochondria, which ends up becoming more mitochondria in the frontal lobe of the brain. That's amazing that when we age, we have degradation of these mitochondria. And so this is kind of pushing back on all of that. You know, there's some differentiation in the literature on when you do things more in the aerobic capacity or zone two where you're getting biogenesis, but then you start going into the hit-sit world and you're getting more improvement in respiration. Have you found that with those mitochondria, did you say in the frontal lobe? Yes and no. When I look at the respiration, I'm more concerned 
and interested in cardiac remodeling. So when we talk mm-hmm. about you know training in different zones, we're training predominantly to induce cardiac remodeling, which is building on the muscles of the walls of the chambers of the heart. And that means that when they get stronger, our arteries contain muscles, our veins don't. So when we have these arteries that become thicker and stronger, that means that with every pump of our heart, we can produce more blood flow per heartbeat, which means that we can get more oxygen to different regions of the muscles, of the lungs, of the brain with less amount of work. That's a huge benefit for everybody listening to this show. If you want to live longer, there's these government standards here in the U.S., 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous and it's done by METs. And then two total body strengthening sessions a week. Do you have a differentiation in view on that? Are you kind of like, hey, if people could be hitting that, phenomenal. If people could be hitting that, phenomenal. But I always say that you want to be focusing on around three hours a week of aerobic exercise, specifically broken into one hour slots. You can do as many as 20 minutes. But when I'm talking about zone two and training within that mitochondrial zone, We're looking at around 45 minutes to 60 minutes to induce the effects. With strength training, the results of all of these RCTs really lie around doing around three to four strength training sessions per week. And you want to be training at 70% or 75% of your one repetition max. This is great. So this is to get the impacts of these myokines. So it's all relative in a sense. 70% is a relative percentage. So for me, former athlete, I'm, you know, my forties, but I can go train with barbells, dumbbells, resistance. If I'm somebody that's just like listening to this right now, I'm like, okay, we have people across the spectrum. People in like amazing shape, people that are just starting on the journey. Body weight may be that 70%. Is there an RPE or RI? You know what I'm saying? If you're just not really doing much, doing a split squat and overloading yourself unilaterally could provide pretty good stimulus. Is there an RPE range that you'd be recommending or do you just really give people true percentages every time they train? I try and give true percentages and it depends Mm. on the person. You know, you could have a 70 year old who is extremely untrained and they could get the same hypertrophy effects as somebody like me who is trained um, and doing 75% of my one repetition max. It all just Mm. depends. If your one RM is 10 kilos, then just work with seven kilos. It's there you go. You know, pretty simple. Yeah. This is phenomenal. Thank you so much for bringing some light on this subject. Because I think we often think of the impact of exercise on muscle, but we don't think about how exercise impacts our brain, which is really going to improve the quality of our life as we age. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you learned something new today about how exercise impacts our brain, Please take a screenshot of the podcast and share it on Instagram or Twitter and at me and Louisa. Let us know what you learned or if you have any questions. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.